When we started the Planet 30 project, a huge part of our mission was to not only inspire others by interviewing persons with a wealth of experience, but also to expose the world to those who were ambitious, passionate, and aspiring. Hence our tagline is Planet 30, where aspiration meets inspiration. A few weeks ago, we got a message from a gentleman named Vicente, who explained that he was working for a new company called Staple Clothing. He thought a Planet 30 interview with the company's founders was a great idea. Vicente was 100% correct. After an initial Zoom meeting with Staple Clothing's founders, Connor and Greg, we were convinced that the world needed to hear their story. We were even more convinced when we learned the mission of their company. Staple Clothing is trying to change the fashion game. Not only are they providing opportunities to designers in developing countries, they are passionate about changing the perception of where fashion could and should come from. In their version of the future, the styles we wear will no longer be influenced exclusively by the runways of New York, Milan, and Paris. Their passion for equity in the fashion space is beyond admirable. Connor and Greg are the definition of what good entrepreneurship is. They have founded a company that will not only provide a future for themselves and their employees, but helps designers to enter spaces they perhaps never thought they would be able to occupy. Connor and Greg are going to change the world. This is only the beginning. Here is the story, thus far, of Connor, Greg, and Staple Clothing. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. I'm Crispin Brooks and welcome to Planet 30. Today I have with me two very ambitious and productive guys. I personally don't know how they're doing it because they have so much on their plate. But today I have with me Connor and Greg from Staple Clothing. Welcome to the planet, guys. Hey, Planet 30. How you doing? Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Pleasure is all mine. Pleasure is all mine. Now, guys, where, where did you guys grow up, each of you? Yeah, so this is Greg here. I grew up in a town just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, like 45 minutes outside of the city called Westboro, but I'm now living downtown. So um, moving from more of the suburban area to the middle of the city was a pretty fun change. Love the excitement, love all the different people downtown, and uh, super proud of sort of the city that I come from. I'm, I'm from, I was originally born in Chicago, uh, moved to Michigan, came to Michigan when I was pretty young, um, and stayed here pretty much my, my whole life, you know, going going to school at the University of Michigan, which is about 20 minutes away from my hometown, but yeah, love it, no place like it. That must be good, laundry at home, saves you a lot of money. Oh, yeah. It is a trap. I know. My mom will use it, and she'll get me to stay as long as she can. She's like, I'll do your laundry, you got dinner, and next thing I know, I'm there for a weekend. Uh <laughs> Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. No, that's, that's great. That's great. What's it? What is uh University of Michigan like? That experience. How how's that been for the two of you? Um. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's a great place. Like I, I I love it more than pretty much any place on earth at this point. It is the people are amazing. I, I think it does a really good mix of like people are ambitious. People are trying to do things, change, shake up the world, but also. Um, you know, they're having fun, you know, they're, they're living life and making sure that they're, they're mean people. I don't think I've ever met a, a mean person at the University of Michigan, which is, 
which is, I don't know, Greg can probably say the same thing. The people here are very nice, but also they got some pretty high dreams. They got some good hopes. Greg? Yeah, I mean, I just graduated a couple months ago, and I'm, I'm so jealous that Connor's going to be able to return back to campus. Definitely definitely missing Ann Arbor. I, th- I think he said it totally right, though, that there's so many people here that just have so many really high goals but are going to do so many things outside of those goals as well. So a lot of really probably the most rounded people I've ever met in my life. Now, guys, who influenced you business-wise early on in your life? Yeah, so I don't know if you've ever heard of, of the company Tom's. Um, yes, of but, course. But, but, but yes, yes. So Blake, Blake, my, Blake Mikowski is, is I think one of, one of our you know, mutual influencers, but also I think a big influencer on staple clothing. Um, you know, we, we saw what Tom's was doing in terms of taking something, uh, you know, taking something, uh, for, from the, you know, they went to Argentina, got the, got the Alpergata and they brought it to the global marketplace to help, um, one, you know, kind of connect cultures, but also to create a positive impact. And so we saw that as kind of like the, the proof of viability for, for stable clothing. And like, it, it was the mix of how can you make a business that scales? How can you make a business that appeals to people? But like mainly like if it's going to scale, like a business with positive impact has to scale. And I think Tom's did that in a really good way, especially starting out. Um, so I've always loved like Mikowski. I've listened to the podcast that he's been on. He's a, he's a great, great guy, very creative. Uh, and someone that I've always looked up to in the space. Mm-hmm. How about you, Greg? I think that uh, a quote that Connor and I always sort of keep near and dear to us is from Patagonia that says, we make our important decisions based on wanting to be here 100 years from now. And I'd say that as we sort of started to build staple clothing, we started thinking any decision that we make today, it's going to be something that we want to be proud of and be able to stand behind 100 years from now to make the company survive, but also the mission survive. So when we're thinking about who we work with or the materials that we use or the ways that we source things, we always sort of want to make those decisions as if they're going to be 100 year long or even longer decisions. Mm -hmm. You guys jump right into staple. Um, (laughs) As you should, as you should. that's what you want to talk about it. <laughs> I hear you. But I, I do want to hear the entire story of Staple. But I just yes. got a, a couple more questions so that our audience can can get to know who you are. Totally. Um, what Was this always the dream, though? Was Staple always the dream? What, like, when you were coming up as kids, what, what was your initial uh, dream? Yeah, so, I mean, I'll start here. I, I came to, to Michigan deciding whether I wanted to do business or if I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. So oh. I, I knew that. I, that there's know, a gap between there, Greg. What's that? <laughs> there, there's a gap between those two. <laughs> yeah, there is definitely there is definitely a gap between the two. I guess I, I guess I knew I wanted to work a lot, but um, no, I I had sort of broken a lot of bones as a kid, falling off bike, falling off monkey bars. I actually broke a toe standing up once, so that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Impressive. But, um, so, and then I watched my mom sort of run her own business and uh, or be one of the sort of owners of a business, and so I knew that. I mean, the two things I saw the most were broken bones and businesses. So I think that's sort of why I came into Michigan saying, hey, I want to do one of the two of these things. So um, I think that I started talking to people pretty early on, hearing that chem and organic chemistry and bio at Michigan is not the most easy thing. And so I think I was like, okay, maybe business is another good way to make an impact and to to do something good with my life. So I'd say that's sort of how I I got along the business route. I never thought that I'd actually be in a spot running a company. And I I attribute a lot of that to Connor hitting me up one day and saying, hey, Greg, let's make a company. But um, no, definitely that's sort of where I found business from. Mm -hmm. Connor? Yeah. I, I don't know if it was always, you know, a, a company, definitely not. I've never thought about being in the fashion space, I think, before stable clothing. But it always kind of was like I, I want to see if I can do something to, to 
changed the world in a little bit uh, of a way, especially the way that I thought that people weren't seeing. Um, you know, I was one of those kids that would debate with the teachers all the time. Uh, when things weren't right, I would get in trouble because be like, no, this is the way it should be. This is the way it should be. Come on, guys. Like, like they're not seeing the point here. And I'd get in trouble for it. You know, I get sent to the principal's office every once in a while because I was because I was frustrated. I was like, please, you see the point. And, and I think that what I want to do when I grow up is to help you know the world see a point and to, and to get in a positive way, like like to grow together. And I always looked up to entrepreneurs as a, as a kid because my dad was always super into these self help books, and so he'd feed me, you know, some Tim Ferriss, um, some Warren Buffett, and so I would see kind of the, the mindset of like the way to kind of control your life and to to make your life what you want it to is to create your own company. So I always I always have been in line with the the entrepreneurial way of thinking, thanks to my dad. Um, but I think I've chosen this specific part of business thanks to maybe some of my uh, 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 disciplinary, uh, anti-disciplinary habits growing up as a kid where I pressed, pressed the lines a little bit too much, uh, wanting, wanting to make a change and wanting to do the things I thought was right, even if maybe people disagreed. Hmm. Here's a question for you guys. How has your perception of business changed prior to U of M and now, especially for you, Greg, having finished? How How, how is your... Uh perception change in terms of what business is or how business works yeah I, I think that I mean a lot of my perception of business has definitely gone to the more positive side using uh, using business for change I actually chose sort of because I knew that business is one of the things I wanted to do um, decided to go to the University of Michigan because of Ross's real focus on positive impact and I thought that at the beginning a lot of that was going to be oh, they'll sort of wrap it up in classes and it'll be a good, almost like a marketing employee, right, for the university. Um, so coming to actually being at the University of Michigan, I say my business, for the perception of business has gone so much more towards the positive and using, using business for positive change. Dean DeRue at the Ross School of Business says it's time to stop like dehumanizing business. It's time to stop villainizing business. And I mean, every single course that I've taken at the University of Michigan has really been around that central theme of how can we use... I guess the privilege that we have in being able to be business owners or being able to work in business to do things that will be impactful for society. And so we would spend many of our different courses or case studies talking about rather than maybe how PepsiCo can make more money, how can they stop using palm oil so that they're able to help the uh, the rainforest in, in the Amazons? Or how can we come up with a, a new structure for the, the management at Netflix to make sure that employees feel more valued so that they ultimately want to put out more more good work. So I'd say that Ross has done a really great job in helping us understand that business is a driving force for change. And there's so many great things that you can do to really be able to help people while while focusing on the bottom line. They call it the triple bottom line, where it's sustainability, economic, and social. And I'd say that I'd never heard that phrase before I got in there. But uh, super super grateful for sort of the opportunity to really shift my mentality on business while being at U of M. And I think, I think for me, I think I've gotten that same thing, but I think one of, one of the bigger things that I've realized is when I was growing up as a kid, you see these entrepreneurs and you, and you see the end product, you know, you look at the, like, look at this amazing business they founded and you don't see, you know, you don't see the struggle. You don't see where they started how in you know inexperienced they were, how pretty much they had no credibility in the field, or they weren't meant to do this, how many people told them no. And I think the best part about being at the University of Michigan is I've gotten to meet entrepreneurs and be like, oh my gosh, these people are not perfect. Like like in the best way possible though. Like like they, they try super hard, they're smart people, they have passion, they have grit, but like, oh my gosh, like they're not these kids that are getting not all of them have four O's are, you know, doing like, you know, are, are starting four different businesses at a time that they're, 
they're imperfect people doing really, really great things. I think that was one of the most empowering things about being at the University of Michigan is I would see people doing amazing things, but and they would be very open and say, I'm messing up pretty much every day, um, but I'm still making progress. And so I, I think that was what gave me kind of the ability to look at something like uh, the goal that we have for staple clothing and to be like, I can do this. Like, we don't have to have... 30 years of fashion experience. I think we could dive into this and, and just, we try our best. We, we are educated. We talk with the people that know best. We can do a pretty good job of what we're doing. Which brings me to my next question. What is your history in terms of work? Because you guys, from what, from my understanding, come from more from a uh, finance background. Connor, you're a bit of engineering background. So for these two guys to enter the fashion space, <laughs> so what, what, did, what did you do prior? Crazy. What, what did you do prior to staple clothing? Yeah, I, I can start. So I have zero, I guess, experience in fashion from beforehand, which, which is, like Connor said, a curse and a gift all at the same time. But um, before starting there, I worked in the, the fintech industry during my, uh, my freshman summer, during my sophomore summer, and throughout junior year. I actually worked for United Airlines in both loyalty and sales. And then um, I worked in consulting last summer and I'll be going into consulting full time. So I think that a lot of my stuff is a lot more business driven, a lot more building loyalty, building building brands, generating sales driven, which has been really great for a lot of the back end operations of starting our own company here. Of course. But it's definitely left a lot to learn and a lot to be uh, desired to learn in, the, in terms of the fashion space. Yeah, I mean, I think that's very important. I think m- many brands fail because of a... Um because of a weak back uh, back end, so that that's awesome, Connor. Yeah, um, I, I think I, I have a I have a decently diverse background, but I think a lot of it's focused kind of on on business tech uh, and, and entrepreneurship. So you know, like like I Greg and I actually met through a consulting group. So we consult for for Fortune five hundred businesses, startups, nonprofits, and we were actually in a, a project where we were, were consulting for a nonprofit dog biscuit company, which was which is amazing. But but I think. I don't have, you know, like a fashion experience. I definitely, you know, have, have experience in the business space, the product management and design space where designing technical things, apps, softwares, um, which, which has definitely helped translate in terms of thinking about how a user or a customer is going to look at our clothing. Um, but but I think the main thing is, is the thinking process. And, and like, you know, with engineering, with business, a lot of these processes, in, in fashion, a lot of these processes are the same. It's problem solving, it's critical thinking. Mm-hmm. And I think that what I focus my college on is not a certain industry. Uh, you know, I've worked in augmented reality, again, d- done business. I, I, I've done, I've done a, you know, working in cybersecurity a little bit now. But it's, it's figuring out how to solve problems that are really hard to solve is what, what I focused on. And I'm not perfect at it yet, but I think the University of Michigan has done a great job of giving me the resources to, to work on that skill. Awesome. Now, excluding staple clothing, get that out of your mind for a minute. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've already, yeah, we've already brought it up about 20 times. And the <laughs> listeners are like, what is this staple clothing? What is this staple clothing? <laughs> well, forget it exists, listeners. Planet 30. Doesn't exist for this next question. I'm I'm I'm, I'm very excited about staple clothing. Trust me, and I, I, want, I want the audience to hear. But uh, excluding staple clothing, what does success look yes. like to you? Yeah, um, I, I think I can take this, and there may be some parallels with with the you know the company that shall not be named. But but I think <laughs> I, I think that I think that I have a good answer for this, at least for me personally. I think success looks like a couple things. I think, you know, the basics that I think sometimes can get neglected when we're talking about business that people don't talk about, but like good relationships, you know, being healthy, physical health, mental health, having those things 
well, executing uh, upon your dreams and your vision. So that way, when I'm when I'm dead, you know, or when I'm on my deathbed, or, or I'm old, I have no regrets. Um, you know, you can you can go back and you can. There, there's only you, time machines haven't been invented yet. I wish they were. Um, but but as of right now, the only time you really have to do things is the present. And my biggest fear, I think, is looking back at my life and be like, you know, if I would have made that jump, if I would have just done this, you know, if I would have, I would have taken the leap, even when people were telling me no, if I would have done that, maybe I would have been a little bit more happy, more successful, more fulfilled. And I think that if I have no, if I, you know, eliminate all of those regrets at the end of my life, I don't think there's any way I'm not going to be happy. Um, just, just following my heart and kind of following the things that I want to do. Uh, and I think that's my goal is to, to live a life where at the end I know that I've, I have no regrets. No regrets. Get the tattoo across the chest, misspelled. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but really, that's what it is, I think. Awesome. And Greg? I think for me, it's uh, wanting to wake up every morning and like wanting to get out of bed and get started and get going. And I think there's a lot of things that, that fuel that. You have to have healthy relationships with, with people who you hold close to you. Um, you need to be able to be, I guess, close with your family, with your friends. But also some of that is business driven, right? It's, am I meeting my own personal goals? Am I, am I excited to sort of go into work? I, I think that the day that I will know that I am not successful is really the day that I sort of just sort of sit there in bed and say, I don't, I don't want to be doing what I'm doing right now. And I think that right now with, whether it be with the, the startup or just work and going to classes or a friend that I'll get to talk to that day, I, I think I'm doing all right right now. And it's, that's, that's how I define success, I guess, just internally. I mean, for a business, of course, it's comes down to a little bit to the bottom line and how much you're learning and employee satisfaction and customers and all that. But I'd say a lot of that just fuels my own success. If I, if the things are going well in the business, then I'm going to want to get out of bed and continue to work on it. And, uh, I'd say that's sort of my, my definition of success. Awesome. Well said. Well said. Who are some of the fashion designers that you guys, I mean, initially you guys weren't fashion guys, but you know, everybody has their, their, their own taste when it comes to dressing. Who are some of the uh, designers that you like? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can, I can start. I think one of the designers that I've noticed and, and, and not exactly in the space was just someone, I, I was always big into to Nike shoes growing up. Mm. Um, and, and so I, you know, I think you know where I'm going through with this. But but Tinker Hatfield, I think, was someone who who, who I always kind of looked up to uh, in the design space. I think just his ability to, to push the boundaries willingly, knowing that you need to push the boundaries. Like the stuff he did with some of the Jordans, um, people people, I mean, gave him a ton of flack. I forget what I forget what it was. It was one of the, the later ones. But 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 you know, he he had some great successes, some great downfalls. But I think it was his willingness to constantly be pushing the boundary. That, that gave him his edge, that get, made him so popular. And I think when we tie back to what we're doing, if we're not pushing the edge, not maybe not with designs, and maybe our designs aren't going to be, you know, the things that are on the, the tip of high fashion, but but if we're pushing the edge conceptually with the things that we're doing with, you know, taking taking designs from cultures that really haven't been in the mainstream fashion scene and trying to push them and empower them, I think, that is, I think that's pushing the edge because that's something that hasn't really been done before. So... I think I look up mainly to his ethos, uh, but also, you know, the shoes are sweet. Of course. Greg? Yeah. So, I, I mean, <laughs> I've never really been someone that's paid as close of an eye to fashion before or before now, really. Um, a lot of just sort of throughout, whether it be, I mean, you can ask all my friends, I wear the same three colors and same two pairs of shorts, like every day, <laughs> the same cool design. So um, up until really now getting involved in the business, I had been 
it's pretty much whatever I could I could find for decently cheap or decently mainstream. Um, but now I think that we're we're in business, and I, it helped me really uncover where my fashion tastes and the fashion senses lie. And that's really why I'm so excited about staple clothing, is because I really do appreciate things that are are coming from designers across the world and being able to really appreciate the designs and the almost the the preciousness of how they, they aren't quite yet available yet or able to be able to have in the rest of the world. So I'd say for me, the, the thing that really sparks my interest the most is just the, the obscurity and the, and the almost like the, the sense of ready to, ready to push out. So I don't know. I, I, the tip of the iceberg, I guess, is the best way to put it. I know it's not a designer name or anything, a uh, fashion stylist name there, but just things that it's like this is this is budding, and if this had access, this would be this would be the best way to go. Mm-hmm. In terms of your personal style motif, I get it, uh, Greg. You're sort of the, like you said, the, the guy the guy with the shorts and three colors. And Connor, you seem to be a uh, a sneakerhead. <laughs> I would. That's the thing. I I think so. So I I, I like sneakers a little bit, but I think. I, I like, yeah. I, I guess maybe a little bit. I just I saw that um, there's there's the art of design on Netflix, um, and so I saw I saw the Tinker Hatfield video, and I, and I looked into him, and I'm always kind of looking for design inspiration. You know, like I'm working with fashion designers that are way out of my league, and so I'm like always trying to like figure out how can I think better about what we're doing, and so I'm just hunting down, trying to hunt the best of the best to figure out you know what what do they do to think about fashion and, and to make those designs but i don't know i'll rock, I'll rock i'm pretty basic i got some stan smiths a couple of j's but nothing too crazy <laughs> no not a whole closet full <laughs> no 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 i got friends with them though they'll, 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 they'll uh they'll plug me up a little bit if i need the heat <laughs> nothing too crazy <laughs> now guys this is what we want to hear about can you please tell us a story of staple clothing What's that? What are you? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> how did this thing? How did this thing start? Like, what? What was the seed that even sparked? Uh, or was it in a class? Was it on, on a trip? Was it? You know, how did? How did the whole idea of staple come about? And then, what is staple? Yeah, um, I guess. I guess let's start with kind of maybe like the story, and then we can get into kind of you know where that took us. So. Staple clothing right now, um, you know, like back, I think that the story started two, three years ago. Um, the business wasn't made yet, but I was on a, I was on a trip to Peru, which is where also our first collection is from. Um, and I was on a, I was a trip, I was chaperoning a, a Spanish trip for the high school and we were just, we were, we were in Lima, we were in Cusco and you know, one of the things that you do when you're in Peru, uh, you know, like especially they have these giant markets and I would walk through these markets and see just the amazing designs like like these the, the color combinations the, the, they were bold but they were so natural and they like you could wear that like it was it was this crazy thing to me because i'm like it felt like it fit my personal style so so well like i feel like oh my gosh I could wear all this but i'd never seen anything like it in my life I, and there was and it was all apparently right here in lima or, or cusco and i you know i bought a bunch of it i was like oh my gosh I, you know like they're, they're selling it out in the streets I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so, I'm so excited to wear this. I bring it back and, and everyone's really excited and they're just like, where did you find this stuff? Like, is this online? You know, wh- where is this? And, and so I looked, I'm like, oh, we, I'm sure you can find something like this online. And so I looked and we couldn't like really find anything. And, and I realized that, and I, and I, the question occurred to me in the words, like, is this just Peru or is this other countries as well? Like, are there, are there designs where if I look up, you know, a country that isn't, you know, uh, Paris, you know, Italy, you know, the U.S., Japan, China, like, like, can I find their fashions? Can I find their designs, their ideas? Because, you know, like, food and music have spread culture so well across the world. You know, we have, 
and, and, and it's one of the most powerful, powerful tools that we have for growing together because we're all people. You know, at the end of the day, we're all people. And so food and, food and music have brought us all together, especially now with, all, with the ability for information to spread so quickly. We've really grown closer. Fashion was something where I'm like, there's no, I mean, fashion isn't bringing us together right now. It's actually, you know, it's, t- it's setting us apart. Uh, either we're all kind of wearing the, the, the normal mainstream Western styles or, you know, maybe people are, are wearing their traditional cl- clothing from their, you know, uh, their communities. But there's no way for people to share their cultures, their ideas. If you're really part of these neglected fashion spaces or these overlooked fashion spaces. And so I had the idea of basically working with these designers in these communities to create pieces, to bridge that gap, to act like food and music to, to bring people together and to empower the designs of communities that really haven't been looked at as, as, as closely as they have in these these few countries that are really dominating the fashion scene. And so I had had connections in Peru and, and such, but I wasn't really know I didn't really know exactly where to start. You know, again, I was an engineering student, zero experience in the space, and that's when I brought Greg on as the master implementer, the guy who gets things done. I'm like, Greg knows more about getting things done and, and getting results, achieving things than anyone I know. So I, I went to Greg uh, and approached him with this idea and say, hey, I think we could do something cool here. We can help empower these designers. We can get their designs out to the rest of the world. We can do quality control. We can have a centralized brand, give donate back to the countries and empower and, and give these designers a chance to really spread their designs to the global marketplace. Because right now it, it's super difficult. Um, and, and, you know, when I talk to the designers, they're thrilled. They, they literally don't believe anyone in the U S wants to buy their stuff. It's, it's actually insane to me that like, like they are, are crying on the phone saying there's no, there's no way that's that these people really care about what we're doing. And I said, no, they do. Like the people in the U S will, will love what you guys are doing seriously. And, and we get them to believe in the mission. And, and I guess I'm sidetracking a little bit there, but, but that was when I brought on Greg going into the, the, the winter of uh, 2020. And then we, we scheduled our first flight to Peru to find our artisans. And then, and then yeah, we, things happen from there. I mean, I mean, yeah. Connor came to me probably what was it? Maybe November of uh, of twenty nineteen, and said, "Hey, I, I have this idea. People, I, I tend to think that there isn't the access as he was talking about. Like, how how can we make this happen?" And so, like he said, um, Connor's the, definitely uh, the two of us, the one with all the ideas, the visionary, the one that sort of has the creativity aspect. I'd always sort of wanted to come into. A, a role like this, but I knew that, okay, I, I can implement things, but I don't really have the ideas. And so I thought this is a perfect opportunity to hop on board and just sort of play against both of our strengths to create something, create something big. So I guess the first thing I implemented was booking the flight for us to go down to Peru. And uh, <laughs> that, that's how, that's how it all really started. The uh, logistics we, guy. The logistics, there we go. <laughs> but yeah, we went, we went to, uh, we, we flew down to Lima at the end of January, 2020, just before a lot of the, the craziness with not being able to actually travel and stuff started to happen. So very fortunate timing there for us, but uh, it's, it's a good thing we sort of went down there when we could. We, we flew to Lima pretty much, and and the reason of flying to Lima was like we had to find a designer to work with. Like we are not going to design these clothes ourselves. You know, it wouldn't make any sense. We how are we going to do proving design? And that's I think the misconception people have is like we are not designing these clothes. Like we collaborate and we we talk about like how we can how we can make these clothes sell best and, and, and kind of get out into the market. But, you know, we work, so, so we pretty much came into Lima with the mission, like let's find a designer who can who can design and, and ideally help make these clothing, help make, help make these pieces so we can distribute it and, and kind of spread these ideas. And so within 48 hours of arriving to Lima, we, we set out to 
pretty much reverse engineered supply chain, which is we find clothing that we like in stores and we try to hunt down, like, who is the designer? Where are they? And we were driving all around Lima. I had my friend, um, Juan Carlos. Shout out, shout out Juan Carlos. He was translating everything for us. He was showing us where to go. He was he was helping us kind of find these people. And eventually, we we were so lucky and we were still so grateful to this day. We found Ingrid uh, at Arte Meche. Um, and she she was designing lots of the clothing uh, that, that they were just been selling in Lima from the kind of more traditional stores to the street markets. And she's been selling manufacturing them. And we, we pitched Ingrid on the mission. We talked with her and we said, like, this is what we want to do. Like, we, we don't have, you know, the, the ability to kind of bulk order, like, like maybe some other people, but like, here, here's the mission. Like, like, let, like, can we, can we do this? Like, what can you help us out? And Ingrid was, was hype about it. You know, she was like, yeah, like if you guys are going to say you're going to bring proving designs to the global marketplace or, or to the U S where people don't know what we're doing, like hell, hell yeah, we're, let's do it. And so of course this is all through Juan Carlos, uh, our, our translator. So maybe, <laughs> so, so trust again, but, but, and so we, 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 we talked with Ingrid, we set up that relationship we flew back to the U.S., you know, we worked out details, and we got our first shipment in of, of some of the clothing that we'd worked to collaborate on uh, to, get the, to get the designs out there. Then, yeah, Greg, maybe you can talk about where we've gone, gone since then. Yeah, so we, we had gotten our first shipment right in, I think, right after spring break-ish time, and so right at the beginning of March. And that's when that's when it sort of hit us, the whole, the whole okay, we, we the entrepreneurship part that Connor was talking about where you might not know what you're doing, that, that's where it first came. Like, okay, we now have... Um, a lot, a lot of inventory, and we have a lot of really great designs that we that we want to be able to showcase. How? And so that w- that was sort of our next step. So I remember just sort of either whether it be in Connor's apartment or my apartment, or just over the phone once once COVID started to happen, just staying up until two, three a.m. trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to build a website? Well, what do we want the look and feel of this to look like? So are we? Ended up getting our inventory probably the beginning of beginning of March, and that was really the part of the sort of the entrepreneurial drive that Connor was talking about earlier. Where you have to figure out kind of what you're doing, and I'd say that was probably the first the first hurdle for us to come over was how do we how do we set up a website, how do we build a mission that people will understand what we're trying to accomplish, and how do we really build that build that front so that when we're we're trying to sell, I guess, online because this is right at the beginning of of COVID nineteen. How how can we really show people our mission via via the internet when we're not able to sit there and talk with them and tell them the story? And um, I say that's the biggest thing that we we started to have to learn is because on campus when we were starting our business and just, just starting to sell right at the beginning of March while we were still on campus is I mean we, we were doing really well. We were we were able to sell to friends. We were able to sell to their friends. There's a lot of word of mouth where people would just start wearing the clothing. Other people's interests would get would get peaked and, and sparked, and they would ask, "Where did you get that?" And it was sort of the same the same rush and drive of trying to figure out like where the origin was of this clothing as when Connor started or had the idea um, earlier earlier that year or before. So that worked really well for us on campus, but I'd say the biggest challenge that started there was how do we how do we bring this mission online? So we spent until like two or three a.m. On, on many nights, whether it be over phone or in one of each other's apartments, until until we did get sort of put in our respective areas of the of the world due to due to COVID, and uh, just figuring out how we sort of set that that image up. And I would say it probably wasn't until early April, maybe, that we actually had our, our formal website launch and with the with the online rebranding, because it, it took us just so long of sort of figuring things out, but. That, that Even then, it was bad. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest with you. We we pretty tragically failed with with our first go at the website. Um, we, like I said, we were doing quite well on campus. We were having multiple sales a week, and then I think it went what two or three weeks of just 
that, yeah, I, I think people would come to our website and that like the average engagement rate was, but it was pitiful. It was like, they'd look at our, they'd look at our title, they're like, staple, oh wait, not the department store or whatever, and then, and then leave. Uh, because, because we weren't doing a good job bringing them in. Uh, but now hopefully, I think, I think we've improved the website so long ago, but, uh, it's gotten better for sure. Mm-hmm. When we when we started off, we had our average our average customer stayed on the site for less than ten seconds, and we had uh, probably one or two sales conversions for every for every couple thousand. So um, every couple thousand people that came through. So that's really the first sort of challenge that Connor and I had. Said, okay, maybe we aren't doing as effective of a job showing our mission, showing what we're all about, telling our story over the website as we were in person, because we had just been seeing really great success. Um, in person once again and then when we went online it was just it was pretty terrible um, so that's when we sort of decided that we had to sit down and, and make some changes so Connor and Greg so great mission you guys are doing a lot for the people of Peru and what do you say to critics that that say hey these guys are going down and, and, and taking designs clarify that for me yeah yeah and, and I first say like we, we, you know we get this we get this especially a lot like you know, there's been incidences in the past where cultural appropriation is it, it is a totally valid thing. Like, of course, like if you're wearing, you know, we used to see those tragic things with like the, the Native American Halloween costumes and just like back in the day, things that are like taking advantage, ripping off and also just not respecting other cultures. Right. And so and, and so what we what we do is we are trying, you know, to the best that we can. And of course, we need to get better at empowering spreading the ideas of, of what this culture is doing and making sure that everything we do benefits the culture and the community that we're working with. So we're not, we're not just ripping designs, you know, and reselling that online. We, we do a couple of things that I think are pretty important to try to differentiate it. So, so I think first is like the authenticity is like, we, we work with designers who are aware of the mission, who, who want these designs to go out. And so like, and it's hard for us because, you know, we know our customers can't see and we're trying to get more media out there of our designers talking and, and sharing kind of like what the mission means to them. Um, but, but we're really working with designers that care about what we're doing. Of course, like if you work in an idea like this podcast, like you want, you want people to see, and of course these designs have much more history, but you want the world to see it. You want it to be kind of out there for people to appreciate, you know, designs are meant to be worn. And so these designers feel like they've been shut out. Like they feel like they don't have access to, to the broader landscape. And so, of course, you know, like they're, they're on board with the mission if we're, if when we're working with them. But we do a couple other things to make sure that we're, we're remaining that, we're, we're keeping respectful. Uh, and, and so one is that constant collaboration with those designers to make sure that everything we're pushing out is completely authentic to the region. And then it's like the financials. It's like, okay, like what happens there? Like, so sure you're authentic with these designers. Maybe these designs are completely authentic. But then what, what does that mean for the people that you're working with? And, and so we do a couple of things. Is one, all of our designers, we pay, you know, completely fair U.S. wages. You know, we pay thirty to fifty dollars an hour for our designers. We don't pay ourselves. We don't. We don't pay any of our interns. Um, I'm not going to say that, but they, but that are that are unpaid. You know, and and, and so we're making sure that they're getting benefit out and we're working to also not just pay them well, we're making them websites in the process. And so we can build them up, empower them. And we don't want to be the end all be all. You know, we are not the final solution. We are just the entry point. We just want to be the gateway. We know the Western market, we're going to have more capital to kind of do quality control. We're not going to be representing the entirety of these cultures. All we want to do is showcase and empower a little tiny bit of what they have to offer so that way our customers, the people in the U.S., 
the people in Europe, the people, the people that maybe would never know about these designs can say, oh my gosh, these are great. Let me look more. And then we're, when we send them straight to the designers, we're going to send them straight there. Um, and so I, ideally we are unnecessary, you know, like it's like a dating app. The dating app should want to go out of business. They don't want you to be there. And that's what we, we want to be obsolete. We want to be someone that is not needed at all. Uh, and that's our end goal is to become, you know, we say a hundred years, hopefully we're obsolete in 20 years where, where people from, from countries across the world in neglected fashion spaces can share and, and really have access to that U.S. or Western or global market. Um, but, but that's not happening right now. And it's because of kind of the criticisms that people say, cultural vulture, cultural appropriation that is neglecting so many of these designers. And it's like, and they're totally fair criticisms, but at the end of the day, over maybe maybe stepping over those bounds can hurt these designers and so you know greg can probably add on here um but but you know we try our best to empower and to make it so we are becoming obsolete you know we donate with every with every collection we're donating to the most pressing cause in the area you know we're don't for a mass we're, we're donating one for everyone we sell to try to not just you know, use these designs but empower the communities and the ideas that they're coming from yeah, I'd say that whenever we are thinking about those decisions that we're making, Connor and I always have the same, well, how can we do more? Well, what else can we do? And I think that that's really what's fueled a lot of maybe the, the social impact aspect of what we've been doing. Um, Connor said that we donate for every single purchase that we do or every single sale that we make. And that's really core and true to what we, to, to what we do. And we do it in local, for local sort of pressing causes that are local to, um, wherever the collection came from. So currently right now with our Lima Peru collection, we're, we're donating 10% of proceeds to Care Peru, which is currently working to use a lot of the money that they are, that they're raising towards giving provisions to communities that are especially impacted by COVID-19. It's a, it's a lot of, a lot of the press here that we see in the United States right now, it talks a lot about the, the crisis that's going on in, in the United States. And, and trust me, it's, I'm not, I don't want to trivialize that. It's terrible, but also um, I think that a lot of people don't really know what's going on with, with the crisis in other parts of the world. And right now in Peru, it's one of the most heavy stricken areas because just the death rate is unfortunately so high. There's just not enough access to provisions or personal protective equipment for, for people to sort of be able to, to fight it as, as well as we can here in the United States. So that's why we ended up choosing that cause for where 10% of our proceeds would go to. But also we are working to, with the masks, we, we've recently collaborated with Ingrid and our team to make Peruvian designed face masks and those are currently something that we're selling but for every single one that's purchased we are donating one back down to uh, to Peru and going through their Ministry of Health which is currently getting provisions out to and, and personal protective equipment these masks that we're donating back out to uh, areas of Cusco and Lima that are especially sort of hurt so um, that, that's a lot more of sort of how we think how can we not only work to empower but also support these regions and these these areas that we're working with and um, I mean in doing so we also want to make sure that I mean there's a, a big thing with right now in the fashion space is fast fashion is how it's sort of tearing apart at the roots of a lot of a lot of designers such as the people that we're working with and how we could potentially I mean it's one of our biggest goals to help combat that so when we think about some of the other ways that we're saying, how can we do more? Well, how can we do more is working with these local designers and working with them in sustainable areas and making sure the, the, the materials that we use are, are certified and um, making sure that factories, if we do have to go outside or just local designers for a little bit more capacity, are also certified and have the highest sort of safety standards and ethical standards. So I'd say that it's really important to us that we're able to sort of combat fast fashion, help work towards empowerment, and really do, do social impact at the same time. 
you touched on something very important just now. For those that don't that don't know, uh, can you describe what fast fashion is? Yeah, yeah. So, so fast fashion is basically um, the mass producing of cheap, low quality, low lifespan clothing, um, largely using unsustainable resources, materials, or 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 labor that is cheap, usually due to some sort of not always, I guess, but but usually due to some sort of unethical circumstance involving the you know the labor, the people making it. Uh, maybe maybe in the age of the workers or the the circumstances under which they're working, the situation. Um, and so you know people are you know going against fast fashion. I think for for a couple of reasons is one you know the, the growing change in kind of the, the need for morality in their brands. You know people are realizing that their money has power. That you're not your purchases are not meaningless. It's like. And, and so with each purchase, you're either choosing to support something that is creating positive change in the world or you're choosing to support something that is affecting other people across the world negatively, um, whether from an environment standpoint or a, a standard of life standpoint. And so that, I think that's one factor why fast fashion is fading. But, but also you look at just the, the need for materialism in the United States and maybe some, some other parts of the Western world where, you know, I, I think people are getting more comfortable, especially in coronavirus, realizing that. You know, they have people have not been buying as much clothing. Um, it, they just haven't. We've obviously been hit by that, but it's a good thing overall because we're producing less waste. You know, we're the, the clothing that people are purchasing um, is meaningful, is high quality, and has a is a reason behind it. And so that's why we feel very good about where we're coming from because we know that once you know once fast fashion is, is starting to die down, they're gonna people hopefully are gonna see that our clothing has meaning behind it. Our clothing is is made in the right way. And that if you're going to make a purchase, our, our capuchas are a little bit more expensive than the average hoodie. And we understand that. Uh, but there's a reason behind that. And and we know that consumers are starting to shift more towards our way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So tell us, what are some of your products that, uh, that you have available right now? Yeah, yeah. So I so we have a, a few products. Again, you know, we, we don't have too many. COVID has definitely put a, a hole in some of our design processes. We currently have a full Peruvian collection. We have an upcoming collection with Yemen and, and Cambodia. I'm working with designers there. Currently in our Peru collection, you can find our alpaca blend capucha, which is pretty much, uh, you know, it looks like a hoodie that's styled in traditional Peruvian Greca design uh, across the collar and on the on the cuffs of the cuffs of the sleeve made out of an alpaca blend material. Um, so basically it's alpaca wool that's been basically formatted to be able to survive the wash um, because normally with alpaca wool, super, super important to make sure that you know, you're laying it out. You're not. You're not washing it normally, uh, and it can get ruined very easily. So we so we basically took some steps to make it so the average consumer can enjoy this product without having to worry about all of, all of the high maintenance care um, that would come with alpacable. Uh, the, the next section we actually just recently sold out of the lino pants, which is a linen pant. And, and these colors, man, are, are oh my gosh, they're they're amazing. These these maybe are one of my favorite products. The, unfortunately, they just sold out, but we're we're working to restock with Ingrid. Um, the lino pants are linen pants that are in these super bold, high, high color fashions. Um, they just, I mean, the, the color combinations that, that are pulled off that Ingrid and I, Ingrid and the team worked to, to create are, are just outstanding. Um, and unfortunately those are sold out. So now I think our main focus right now is the masks, which are very, very high quality. They're, they're dual layer. Um, it's, it's polyester cotton blend, um, mesh in the inside. Uh, and they're and they're styled in proving designs again. Working with Ingrid, very colorful, very very authentic to kind of the, the local designs and the Greco based designs. And 
they every for one you buy, you know, we donate one to those disadvantaged communities to the Ministry of Health. So I think if you're, you know, you're looking to buy a mask, and that's what we see. Like if if you're a consumer who's against fast fashion and you want your purchase to support something, all of our all of our clothing's get back. And when you buy our pack of capucha, you know, you're you're donating ten percent to to COVID relief in Peru. When you buy your mask, you're donating a physical mask to to Peru. And so I think our clothing, you know, of course the product has to be high quality. It has to be authentic. But also, I hope customers, you know, can feel good that with every purchase, they're creating some sort of positive impact, not just in their local communities, but in the global community. So Slumdog Millionaire penetrated the U.S. market and became one of the biggest films the year it came out. And on my side of the world, you've got countries like Jamaica, which have obviously penetrated and influenced in in, in the space of music. So these... These countries that are considered "quote unquote" third world have had a tremendous impact on culture here in the U.S. and in Europe. Why is it? Do you think that fashion really has not done that as yet? Is it something about the designs, or is it the psychological makeup of the people in those countries that aren't accepting? What what is it that that has prevented fashion from penetrating? Yeah, fashion fashion is a, is a strange thing for sure because you're totally right. You know, when you look at music. People are listening to music from from everywhere across the world. I mean, you look at food. You know, like I, you know, we have I have a favorite Jamaican jerk place right outside my house in Ann Arbor, and I've gone there way too many times to if I know it's good for me. Um, and, and it's and it's spread. But with fashion, one of the larger problems is it's top down. The fashion industry is largely influenced and controlled by by kind of the, the top tier fashion brands. You know, you look at, it kind of starts with designer and then maybe you have some of these fast fashion brands. You know, you have a, a Nike or, or an H&M, but, but largely it's, you know, Louis Vuitton, Gucci that are using largely, if you look at cases of these, I mean, they're, they're using these designs, but largely not even giving credit to where they're coming from. We've seen cases like this with Peru. There are, the, there are these, uh, there's a community in Romania that, that some of these designers pretty much use uh, in their collections without even giving credit. And so part of it with fashion is it kind of comes from top down where music and food are more grassroots movements. You know, like with, with, with music, you want pure authenticity. You want something that's kind of, it's cool to listen to music that, that's kind of like coming up, uh, the people that you haven't heard of, and the thing that's really raw and emotional. Fashion right now is so kind of locked in in a top-down approach where the industry is such a lock on what people are wearing. If you look around, people are wearing the same thing, same wearing the thing. same brand. But if you look at music, I, I mean, I you, you pull 100 people, they're all listening to different things, and they're attached to their identity. Clothing has been de-identified, and it's been at the construct of larger companies kind of pr- putting pressure down, saying, if you don't like the same things, you know, you don't have value or you're not fitting in. And we've broken that with music and food. But it, it used to be like that with music and food. You know, people used to listen to all the same music back in the old days. You know, they weren't, there were before, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, before streaming, if you weren't listening to the same things, who, who, who were you listening to? No one cared about it. But now it's a good thing to be, to be bringing up people that maybe haven't had the spotlight yet, to have those new indie artists that your friends are going to latch on to. And food is the same way. You know, people are looking for those creative dishes. They're looking for the new spins. They're looking for the new recipes. Where new ingredients—they're always being incorporated. But with fashion, we don't see that yet, and it's largely because of these big companies—they, of course, they don't want that to happen. You know, they want—they want you to say, "Hey, the only right way to do fashion is to wear what these big companies are making," because yeah, they're going to make more money. And so we're coming and we're saying, "No, no, 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 no." You know, we are not the final answer. 
but we just want customers to look outwards. We want them to treat fashion the same way as they do music, the same way as they do food, and to really have an appreciation for the different places that it can come from and the, 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 value, the value and the quality that, that can be provided in that medium if you look somewhere else other than just at the top most popular brands. And so, yeah, we, we largely it, – it's a mix of factors. It's the consumer, but it but, but it, but it's mainly, I think, these brands that are kind of putting a chokehold uh, on the consciousness of, of the consumer in the fashion space. And, and ideally, we're going to hopefully release them from that a little bit by working with some designers, getting some good pieces out there to kind of break the hold. Staple Clothing, the global ally for fashion. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> now, tell me, guys, what are some of the uh, difficulties in starting a clothing line? I guess, you know, both you and Greg can answer this. Yeah, I, I can start here. So... I'd say the number the number one for both of us, just from a teaming standpoint, is that neither of us had had the background in fashion. So, I mean, you heard me answer earlier with the least satisfying answer ever about my favorite designers and my inspiration. I think a lot <laughs> of that is there is just so much more for me to learn in, in the space. So, um, I'd say that's definitely been been one of the biggest challenges is just getting getting acquainted with. I mean, even terminology. Where do you what do you look for? What what's the what does the supply chain look like? And um, I, I say that's one of the one of the first things that was kind of a struggle. The second piece was definitely starting starting a business in the unique sort of environment that we're in with with COVID nineteen. Um, I think that you see these these really great stories of co-founders that like started in a garage or started an apartment together and are able to sort of bounce off ideas. And I mean, Connor and I are 650 miles apart right now. I think that it's been a lot harder to run a business when we haven't been able to necessarily sit down and, and whiteboard things together. And especially because it isn't a space that neither of us really had a lot of initial foundation in being able to sort of work through those challenges together and figure it out. We do as best job as we can using a lot of modern day technology tools, but I mean, I, I would be remiss to say it wasn't a struggle. Um, and then the other part about that environment is just, I mean, we're in a place right now where spending in the fashion industry is down over 75% right now, just due to people being a little bit um, more cautious with, with where discretionary spending is going. So trying to start a, a fashion brand or a brand in an industry that's has its, its spending cut by 75% is um, has been an interesting sort of hurdle for us to come across and for us to, for us to come over. So um, like I said earlier, we, we when we first launched our website, it, it really didn't go well. We've since really taken a, a long look at how how are we going to rebrand. We started using Shopify. We we really, I think, more concretely, we still have a lot of a lot of room to go, but more concretely, told our story on the site, and we're able to sort of tell our mission in a couple paragraphs with the text rather than needing a an hour long podcast to do so. Um, but I say love. That we <laughs> would, would love the best. We really, we still love. think is the best um, way to do it. Oh. If, yeah, if we could have an hour with every single customer, that would—I mean—that that would change the world, right? But um, I'd say that really the two biggest things are the education of, of learning the fashion space right now, as well as just starting starting a company given the given the scenario we're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and if I get if I could add on, and this is just something for I think the listeners that you know, like I'm I'm 20, Greg is 22. You know, I'm almost 21, so we're getting there, but. Um, we, you know, of course, not claiming to know everything, but just from from the experience that we had, you know, I think I think the largest thing, the largest hurdle, if you're looking, you know, if you're if you're following Planet Thirty, you're probably ambitious. You're probably trying to go out, make some changes in the world, move and shake it up. And I think Chris could attest to this. It's like you you gotta. There's two things. You know, you gotta be fine with everyone telling you that what you're doing is a bad idea and that's stupid, and they should probably take a safer path. 
Um, and then you got to you got to be ready to kind of just not know what the heck you're doing and get your hands dirty. And and I think that those mastering those two things is something I'm still far from, but have been the most invaluable. Where I've had again a hundred people tell me that hey you should you know maybe just do engineering. <laughs> you know my parents are like hey engineering is you know you you know what you're gonna make it's a safe path. Um, but 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 knowing that you know you don't you can listen to yourself and get your hands dirty even if you have no idea what's going to come next. Um, you, you can do it. So I, I think that's what I've, it's the toughest part, but also the most rewarding part is kind of overcoming those challenges that are both just as much external in, in sales and everything, but also very internal where you have to kind of have that, those battles with yourself to decide whether this is really worth doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll really quickly piggyback there if I can. Um, like Hunter said, I mean, he's 20, I'm, I'm 22. Most of the time it might sound like, uh, we, we, we talk a little bit of game where he's like, Oh, the idea guy, I implement things. Neither of us really know what we're doing. I mean, we'll, we'll be straight up honest with you there. We, we are figuring this out as, as we go. And we, we will, we screw up, we screw up a lot and we, we learn from it and we, and we bounce back. So I'd say that just sort of being in our, our sort of nascent stages here has been, has been challenging to say the least, but, um, has definitely, I mean, I've learned more in the last couple months of running this than I think I have in any other period of my life. And I'd say, I'm sure Connor would say the same. So I, you know, you guys sort of touched on, well, Connor, you did a little bit about what, could be and should be done but do you have anything to add to that in terms of advice for anybody you know that might be younger that that may be thinking about the same thing what are some of the you know just give me a few do's and don'ts <laughs> that they should oh, expect. I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> so so i guess one thing I'm, I'm pretty passionate about is i think when i talk with especially a lot of my friends is like and I'm again no my by no means perfect but i think i've I, you know i've researched this a decent amount i feel pretty confident on it is is Figuring out whether an idea is worth pursuing or how to find an idea that's worth pursuing. Because I think the biggest thing people have is like maybe they want to do something, but they don't know whether that idea or that concept is good enough to make it really worth going after. And, I, and I'd say there's a couple of things to look at. This is going to be less inspirational, I think more scientific, um, but I think super useful if you're a young kid, you're saying, I have this idea, do I do I invest a ton of time into it? I think here that some of the things that I would think about if I were in your shoes, and I did think about I, I'd say, you know, one, you know, like what, what advantages, you know, do you have in the field, which is super hypocritical. I know because we are, we both don't know anything about fashion, but we do have some advantages. You know, we, we both have a very strong business background, marketing background. You know, we, we, we know logistics and supply chain. The fashion was kind of like the one thing out of the loop, you know, I, uh, and, and so figuring out like, are you the person to do this? Do you know more about this than, than, than a lot of people? Um, and, and or could you learn? And I think the next thing is, if you're trying to do something new, is there a reason it hasn't been done? Why hasn't it been done? And is that reason legitimate? Every time someone does something new, everyone asks, well, you know, why, there's probably a reason that hasn't been done before. If someone, if it was a good idea, someone would have already done it. And a lot of times, yes, they, those can be those can be right on. Maybe there is a, you know, a really good reason why you should not go with that idea or you should not pursue it. But a lot of times those reasons are due to misinformation, low information, or them having a perspective that you just don't have. And so I think it's best to really question and don't just listen to people. Take advice from people that really, really, really know the industry. Trust your gut. If you're getting feedback from the people that are buying from you that's positive, count that much more uh, than the people in your life that care about you. Because you know your, your friends, your family, they really, really, really care about you. And when people care about you, they want you to make choices that prevent you from being harmed or you know being poor or, or losing your money rather than the choices that can help make you a millionaire or, or do something great in the world. So I would say kind of guard your thoughts and, and maybe 
take their advice, but, but also trust yourself and use some tools to trust yourself, like knowing why things aren't happening, knowing if you have expertise in the field. Uh, read Lean Startup, read Zero to One. I think those are some, some great startup book fundamentals. Um, but also, yeah, just having the confidence to shoot the shot is, I think, at the end of the day, what it's going to come down to. Tell us a little bit more about your plans for expansion into other countries. You mentioned Cambodia. Yeah, so we, we're right now working to <clears throat> do three things. We're looking to expand a little bit within the, the Lima Peru collection. Um, we're adding sort of some more summer items as well as some fall items there that we've been on, on phone calls with both our, our couple fashion interns as well as Ingrid and RKMHA Designs down in, down in Lima to co-create. And so those should be dropping quite soon, and, and we're super excited for that. But beyond, we, we really wanted to choose a... A, cu- a couple things that go into sort of our selecting location. Number one, just being something that's varied, something that's, I guess, different will help us create a good portfolio. But really more importantly, it's just areas where designs might have been overlooked or don't don't really have as much access to the global marketplace. So our next two places that we're really looking into are both Yemen, and uh, the proceeds from that will help support the humanitarian crisis going on there. And then two would be Cambodia, um, which is another location that, Connor, and I think really there's a lot of areas for, for expansion and growth, which is the types of designs that aren't really have access to the global marketplace, and we'll be working to uh, provide. We're still working on our uh, our donation partner there, but um, there's there's two different areas that we're sort of passionate passionate about. One of them would be more from an infrastructural standpoint um, there, or the other one would be more on food and hunger in more rural areas. So there, there's a lot of different causes that we're trying to sort of pull into every area, but um, those are the next two that are are really on the on the plate there, and. Um, we, we think that they should be able to lend us a lot of success, but also the designers in those countries a lot of success. Now, Connor and Greg, you guys are super ambitious. You're doing a ton of things for the world, really. How, do you, how did you initially balance school and running this company? Yeah. Um, I, I, I'll touch on it. I think Greg will, will probably have some better tips. He's always been better at school than me. Um, I, I think it's like, you know, it's priorities. And uh, in, in, in like, people have tons of time outside of their classwork, uh, to do stuff. And, and unfortunately it takes some sacrificing. Like I didn't get to go to, you know, maybe every single party that I want to go to. Uh, but, but I think we were largely saved in, in coronavirus. Like, like it was one, it was something that kind of like made it so it was harder to execute our mission and, and kind of like reach out in the world. But it also, you know, I was at ho- I was at home with my parents for a while. And, and so like, and, and just all that free time to pretty much do nothing. You have school and what else are you doing? Um, and, and so, that was, I think, kind of the blessing in disguise of this, ter- you know, this this crazy situation. Is that I was able to really buckle down, get into it, and and be non distracted. It's a lot harder to work on a company when you have five roommates trying to get you to do something. But when I just have, you know, I'm in my, I'm in my childhood bedroom. There's no real distractions, <laughs> and so uh, I, I think we got I think we got lucky. But, it, but it, I think it comes down to prioritization. Just you know, I would rather do this. I think that this mission is more important than than anything else I'm doing. And so this, this, it sounds bad, but like this takes priority over everything. Um, and so like, I'm going to do well in school, of course, but like, you know, if there was an emergency involving staple, that would come before any test I had. Um, and, and so, which is hot take. I know my mom probably would not love to hear that if she's listening. Uh, but, but it is, <laughs> it is something that if you, if you have a dream, if you have a vision, it's got to come before a lot of things. If you want to make it a reality. It's probably like, is that what you do? Is that what you're up there doing? <laughs> 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 I, um, I, 
I'd say that the biggest thing for me in terms of balancing things has been surrounding myself by people that are different than me so that I'm able to sort of play off their strengths and play off my strengths so we can do things a lot, a lot faster. Like I said, Connor is, I mean, we're, we're arguably very different people um, in the ways that we, we think and we operate where, I mean, I, it would take me forever to come up with a lot of ideas or the, ne- the next big move for the company. But I know that something will pop into his head almost instantly and then I'm able to just spend a lot of my time working working to move things forward. So I'd say that it's really helped me, really helped me sort of prioritize my time and, and manage my time by having by having someone that I can also sort of play play my strengths off of. But um, I'd say one other thing that's really sort of helped me from a, from a business standpoint is um, keeping our supporters close, but keeping like the, the critics a little bit closer because they tell you, I guess, right away what's wrong, oh, yeah. with, your, what's wrong oh, with your business. Yeah. So rather than having to sit down and, and brainstorm and think, well, what could be going on or, or why why don't we love, why, why aren't things going as fast as we'd like to? If you really listen to the people who are giving you critical feedback, I mean, they're, the, they're, they're making your job so much easier because they're really identifying any sort of hole or gap for you. And I, I'd say that we, we, we've had that conversation already today about there might have been I mean, concerns about how we do business or sort of how we empower designers. And we, we heard that from some of our some of our biggest critics. And that, that really was able to help both Connor and me point our attention more our, our attention more, more pointedly and more directly into the areas that needed the most work in our business. So I'd say that those two things are really the things that have helped me with time management. So guys, we're in 2020 and of course your generation is definitely known for giving back. But still the culture at large says, go, 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 money, 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 money. You guys are going to an excellent school, obviously very bright. Why not just do the corporate thing and live happily ever after? Yeah. It, it, I, I, man, I, first of all, Crispin, amazing question. Absolutely <laughs> amazing question. As two people that are doing startups, uh, it, that, that there's no more beautiful question than that. I, I, I think that the corporate life is not that, and, and it also we've seen in not in not every corporate situation it can be used for good. You know, when you have that much power in a corporate company, you can do a lot of good if you're using that money in the right way. Um, and, and so, I don't think all corporate jobs are bad. I don't think all corporations are bad. You know, we see you know big big companies, big startups that are doing really really good things in the world. Um, but I think I think for me, especially, it's like what are again you know going back to like what are my end goals? I was never dreaming of a kid of just like being rich, you know, like, and some people did dream of that. Uh, but my, my dream was always to like do something special and to, and to help the world and, and to, to like act, to make a difference. And it's cheesy. You'll hear from every Gen Zer, uh, you know, but, but really it's about doing something that has impact. And, and, and so while money, I think was the traditional form of value, maybe it still is. I think for me, the thing I measure more than anything is impact. And so, you know, like, like those people, you know, that, that are going after money are just seeing things in a little bit differently. Uh, and, and so uh, we definitely are risking some guarantee, like some pretty much guaranteed money in certain aspects by pursuing certain jobs or, but, but also Greg is, Greg is going to be working in somewhat of a, of, of a corporate situation, knowing that that expertise is going to help us. So like, like, like there's corporations aren't bad necessarily. Um, you know, th- there's benefits, there's values that you can get from them. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you know, Greg, you know, we'll, we'll have to figure out how we can prioritize the mission above everything. Um, and so, yeah, lo- great question. Great question. Greg? 
Yeah, so as Connor alluded to, starting in November here, I'll be I'll be starting work full time in a in a pretty hour intensive job. I'll be doing consulting full time, and so I mean a lot of a lot of what I'll be learning there will be teaching me the inner workings of the company and teaching me how to how, how to really work through challenges or problem solve in new creative ways. So I mean, yeah, a lot of the work that I'm doing on Staple will have to be in the late evenings as well as as well as the weekends. But but I'm super excited for it for two reasons. One, as Connor said, I'll be learning a lot more. But two, I mean. As, as as a startup, right? We we burn through cash quite a bit, and so Greg is going to bring the money to Staple. It is, yeah. <laughs> essentially, what I'm saying there like, is, um, I will have a salary that can help us essentially buy inventory. Yeah, it's easy. It's easy to you know kind of say, oh, the corporate jobs, and then like be like, oh wait, hold on, Where, where's this cash we get? You know, we need coming from. Unfortunately, you know, for whatever, like the corporations have the money, and so they're not bad. You know, they're not evil. You know, but like uh, depending on you know like as, as a general idea. Um, but Greg and is going to be learning a ton and also helping Staple grow because without that, you know, if we if we want to bootstrap this and make this ourselves, um, to make sure that largely because we're scared about like some some investors, you know, when when you take investment money, your priority becomes making money instead of impact. You know, like like because investors are investing not just to you know help the most people in the world, they're investing to make a return. And so what what's really good about what Greg's doing is he's giving us the ability to stay independent longer so we can make our own choices that we think are the best for, for making sure that we're staying true to what we want to do. Well said. Well said. So, guys, can you let us in on a little secret in terms of what the next big move for Staple is? Is there something hidden that we didn't cover that, you know, you guys are holding close to your chest? Want to give us an exclusive? <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> I guess I guess if it's for Planet Thirty, I guess we'll have to do it. So I, I think the biggest thing is less on a product side. I think it's more of a push conceptually, ideologically. Like we know, you know, we can generally have worked out how things are going to work product wise. We know what we're going to work as a business. I, I think the thing is we're realizing is like this idea is much bigger than it's not a business. Like th- this thing is a movement. This thing is a idea that should be in the world to make it a better place to make us more connected. Again, like the, we started out of the fear of fashion not being there to connect the world. You know, it, it, it is a such a high potential to be an amazing bridge across cultures, and it's not doing that. And so, I think the next step that we're that we're you know, we're working on now is to get to get people engaged about this idea from a non business aspect, and to push out this idea of the movement of the idea that we're trying to create. And so, like that involves talking with talking with leaders in the industry talking like is starting to engage with more people in the academic space to really get their ideas and opinions out there about what this would mean for for cultural connection across the world and so uh, yeah this isn't like a new product launch here we talk about yemen and cambodia this is a bigger shift towards making us larger than, than a business making it so even if no one buys a single piece of our clothing they know what the idea is and they and, and they know the importance of connecting through culture and that fa- and how important fashion can be as a medium to do that um, and, and I think that's the big next shift is is making us not just we don't want to be a business we want to be a force for good we want to be a force that, that is pushing the world into this direction and so to do that we're going to need people that have the credibility that, that know the space and from those we've talked to we've gotten really good signs really good answers about where we're going now we just want to make that more formalized more public so that way our customers and those who are looking at us can maybe can maybe learn more about what this movement means for the rest of the world now Individually, what are your what do you think you guys what is your ultimate goal? You know, when you're eighty something rocking back on your rocking chair at your beach house, what would you like to say, hey, I accomplished 
this? What is this? What is the big, big picture? Yeah, in terms of in terms of our business, like I said, or like Connor said earlier, it's that we're 80s. That means 30 years ago, staple clothing was no longer necessary. And there was access across the world, and people started just celebrating and understanding fashion and incorporating the ideas that they cared about and identifying with sort of through their clothing from all different cultures. And so I, I'd say that if, if I'm sitting on a rocking chair in uh, in 60 years from now, it would be just sort of looking back at the, at the great times that were sort of leading leading the beginnings of this movement, but then also just relishing in, in the present of the fact that people from all over, uh, from all different walks of life, all different areas will be um, celebrating fashion the same way that they have music and food for, for years. Connor? Man, Greg, stop taking my answers. It's, this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Um, I, I would say something very similar. Like, again, like, and, and not that, like, you know, this is something we, I think is so important, but also there's going to be more. Like, there's, there's, this is, this is, I think, a, a giant idea. And I think it's something that we are not single-handedly going to do, of course. Like, like, like this is going to take, this is going to take an army. We are not the sole solution. We just want to be the spark, the gateway, the entry point to get this conversation going. Um, and, and to really like, we, we think we can get big, you know, we think we can scale, we think that we can create a lot of positive impact, but, but we're not going to be able to do this alone, truly as, as, as one company. Um, so, so we want to really look back and say, not just on a company basis, but like, did we, did we help the world get better? And, and I think we're doing that now, you know, I really do. But, but of course, you know, we want to scale up, we want to make the world better in more ways with more people. Uh, and I think as long as we put our best efforts into do that that we're going to be happy at the end of the day. And that rocking chair is going to be full of good memories for all the times that, we, that we've had doing it. Awesome. Now, guys, this is a segment of the podcast where I like to strap on my spacesuit and jump out into the atmosphere. And I leave you on the planet alone. The planet is yours. Whatever you'd like to say to the audience, go ahead. Planet 30, uh, <laughs> it's good to be here, good to be here. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for listening and getting to know us and our story. Um, we hope that some part of it resonated with you, whether it was the the need for fashion to kind of move into the same space as music and food have done for connecting cultures, or just the idea of empowering designers that have been shut out from the space for a while now. Um, we're not asking you to you know buy our clothes, but if you want to, we're going to have the promo code. Um, we'll, we'll give you at the end here. But we, we really just want to say, you know, take a look and really like look at potentially what this is going to mean for the global ecosystem and fashion. And we hope that in your choices that you make in your communities, we know you're doing good things, moving up, shaking the world, but that you're making responsible choices. And maybe one of those choices can start with us. Uh, Greg, you want to say something else to the 30 guys and girls? <laughs> yeah, I mean, first of all, Planet 30, thank you for having both of us again. We can't stress it enough. I mean, Connor and I love being able to sort of spread the mission any way possible and talk with you. So we really do appreciate that. Um, I'd say that Connor covered pretty much everything I wanted to do on the business side, but guys, go out there, go start, go build, go fail, and learn from it. I'd say, if anything from this, um, hopefully you learn a little bit more about our mission, but I also want you to think about just your mission and how you can make it come to life because Connor and I started this at age 20 and 22. There's never a time that's too early or too late to get started and just run with it. Well said, exactly. So guys, go ahead and give us your contact information. I think you mentioned a promo code as well. Go ahead and let us have it. Yeah, first we'll give you the, the website so you can check us out online. It's www.staple-clothing.com. 
So that's staple-clothing.com. And we do have a promo code for you guys on there. It's planet thirty. 15 so the planet and 30 are spelled out all one word and then the numbers 15 at the end one five and that will get you 15 percent off anything on our website so that that can be used and uh we'll get good stuff out to you if you want to support our mission um but also i mean we'd love to be able to connect with any of you we'd love to be able to answer your questions or just talk about anything so we'll give you our email as well which is support at staple-clothing.com that's support at staple-clothing.com and then uh, Connor's also going to go ahead and give you our uh, our Instagram handle and such. So you can connect with us on social. Yep, yep. So for Instagram, you're going to want to check us out at staple underscore clothing. That's staple underscore underscore clothing. And feel free to shoot us a DM. Um, let us know, if, of course, if you have any questions. It's going to be a more informal channel, but we'd love to connect with you through there as well, answer any questions, and hopefully you guys can check us out and see what we have to offer. The gentleman from Staple Clothing, the next big thing in fashion. I can't thank you enough for joining me here today on Planet 30. Thank you so much, Crispin. This has been amazing. And thank you, Planet 30, for listening. We can't wait to see you soon on the store. Yes, thank you. All right. This has been Planet 30. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash planet 30 our email address is on planet 30 at gmail.com that's o-n-p-l-a-n-e-t-t-h-i-r-t-y at gmail.com for more information about planet 30 visit our website planet30.com that's p-l-a-n-e-t-t-h-i-r-t-y dot com I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30.